speak about a subject of which I have deep passion because I realize that many of our churches have practiced what we call faith promise missions, but yet there are generations that never understood or why we did it. They just simply say, okay, I make a promise, I give to missions, that's nice, but never take the time to understand from, from whence it came. And so I want to take us through a quick overview of the examples of giving in God's economy. Each one that plays a part, and I'll show you where faith promise fits in the greater, I, I want to say, uh, not the, the greater, I don't want to say scheme because that sounds odd, but the spectrum of God's timeline, if you will, of giving. And so in God's economy, we have, and of course, there's got to be, you know, the whole, uh, where's that one where he said, you know, the whole preacher offering part where, you know, you got to have the whole alliterated outline stuff. But but we'll call it the prescribed offering. This is the very first time in God's economy, that's I'm talking about the actual system that God has for his people. Giving has always been a part. If you go all the way back to Eden, God had his people giving in forms of sacrifice. When it comes to this idea of giving, by Genesis 4, we're introduced to something called the tithe. This is where God sets the amount. It's prescribed. God describes or prescribes for us the amount that that offering is. The word tithe is the indicator of the amount. So the word tithe actually means a tenth. And so in, did I mess up? Okay, I'm seeing double. Is that the medication? I don't know. So when I look at this and I see in Genesis 4, 17, and these are good, and if you want, Pastor can give you the slides of these for your own benefit. He can email them to you so you always have them. But for me, I want to know what's the biblical basis. You can stand up and convince me, make me feel guilt or shame or fear or anger. You might make manipulate my feelings or emotions, but I want to know the scriptural basis. Don't just tell me that I got to give. Tell me why I'm giving. Give me a foundation. So in Genesis 4, we have this this action that takes place where Melchizedek is a high priest, the Bible says, and Abraham, whose name is Abram at that point, he gives a tenth of all the spoils from his activities. And this is the first indication that we have. Now, giving precedes this, and this tithe precedes the law. I always like to think about this offering. Every offering in Scripture recognizes something. And for me, in the example of giving, when it comes to the tithe, is to say that this recognizes my Creator. I think that if we, you know, we, we talk about the stewardship of the earth and we talk about our responsibilities as citizens, we're not trying to destroy the earth. We're supposed to live here, make it better, bring glory to God. That's an important thing. I think people take it to a religious status and make it zealous. Uh, uh, there's a zealotry about it, but it's not really where I think that we have just as good managers in our lives. I think that we ought to recognize who God is. It, I see this as an offering of obedience. I, I, if I, someone asks me about this offering, I'll say to them that the tithe is the offering that comes from my paycheck, just simply to understand it. I see the paycheck come, and I simply say, I give God at least 10% a tithe of that. Later, this is first book of the Old Testament. Last book of the Old Testament covers this very thought again. And the fact is, it says that when someone didn't, when Israel didn't give, 
God said, not, not man, a preacher said, God said, he said, you're robbing me. So God sees the tithe as his. We recognize him as creator. This is the first offering that we have. The second offering that we have is this called, what I'll call because of the whole preacher title thing, the preferred offering. This is in Exodus 35, and they're bringing gifts for the tabernacle. And so all of them are finding, if you go here in 35, verse 5, 21, 22, and 29, each of those verses indicate that this is a willing offering. It came from their heart. They wanted to give something that helped them. In fact, I have my Bible open. I should be reading it. That's a good point for me to start to remember, right? You open your Bible and find it. Exodus number 35, Exodus 35, and go with maybe verse number 5, and you'll see it there. But this is the second offering that is vital and teaching us God's economy or God's the way God wants things done. Look at 35 and verse number 5. The Bible reads, Take ye from among you an offering unto the Lord, whosoever is of a willing heart. Let him bring it, an offering of the Lord, gold and silver and brass. And they go through and talk about blue, purple, scarlet, fine linen, goat's hair, ramskins. We're not asking for goat's hair this morning. We're not asking for purple, we're, we're just talking about this. But this is what the key is. Verse number 5 talks about a willing heart. Then in verse number 21, the Bible says, And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him up, and everyone whom his spirit made willing. And they brought the Lord's offering to the work of the tabernacle of the congregation. Look at 22. And they came, men and women, as many as were willing-hearted, and brought bracelets, earrings, rings, tablets, that's not an iPad, by the way. All jewels of gold and every man that offered an offering of gold unto the Lord. Then again, look in 22, uh, 29. And the children of Israel brought a willing offering unto the Lord. Every man and woman whose heart made them willing to bring for all manner of work which the Lord had commanded to be made by the hand of Moses. When I look at this portion of scripture, I recognize that this is who my God is. Everybody worships something. Some people just worship themselves. But in this case, as I read this, this offering recognizes God. So if the prescribed offering, the tithe, is an income-based offering, then this is a compassion-based offering, the offering which comes from my possessions. These folks, God said, go home, find stuff, bring it. And this was what they did, and they did it from, again, a willing heart. That's so important. It's kind of funny to say, but giving, the heart of giving is the heart. It's just how willing we are. I've, seen, I've been in our churches where shame and guilt and fear were used to manipulate people to give, but I don't want that. I just want to say, I love God. I want to give. I recognize Him as my creator, and I recognize him as my God. So this is, I see as, if you go back to the first one, the first one is an income-based offering, if you notice here, and then this one is a heart-based offering. It has everything to do with my willingness. If I'm not tithing, I'm robbing. If I'm not giving, it probably indicates something's up with my heart. Either I don't understand why I'm giving, or maybe my heart really isn't willing, that I'm reluctant and I know reluctancies come. Sometimes you meet a missionary and you don't like them. And you just say, well, I, that missionary was a dud. 
Well, sometimes church members are duds too. But the fact is, is that God will manage and maintain those people just like he manages and maintains us. And he'll make sure that the work gets done. So when we look at this, we want to say just one thing. Is my heart willing? Number three, the third idea that I want you to see is we're going to go from prescribed and preferred to project. This is an offering of things. Look at Philippians chapter 4 and verse 18. Again, I'm giving you the kinds of offerings and we're leading into the promised offering in just a moment. But if you look with me in Philippians chapter number 4, you'll see that Paul is writing to the church of Philippi who were exemplary in their giving. And in Galatians chapter 4, Paul calls out the church and one of the guys that came from the church, and his name was Epaphroditus, and Epaphroditus, the Bible says, brought a things offering. Notice what it says in chapter number 4 and verse number 18. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. What I notice about in the examples of giving in God's economy is this project offering, an offering of things. Now, what were those things? Scripture doesn't indicate that. We can speculate, but we have to remind ourselves Scripture doesn't say it. I know at one occasion Paul asked for a coat to be brought to him. On a similar occasion, he asked for parchments to be brought to him. Whether that referred back to the Old Testament scrolls that he might have had or it referred back to something else. But he needed some things. But think about life in general. Think about your church for just a second. Over here on the corner of the property, you have a thing. It's a house. And you let ministry people stay there in the house. Why? It's a things offering. You made something available to them. Whatever Epaphroditus brought to Paul was significant enough that the Holy Spirit gave commission for Paul to write those words about what Paul was receiving from the church at Philippi. I need you to understand, we've switched from Old Testament to New Testament, but we haven't changed the principles of giving. It doesn't matter. Some would argue, well, that's New Testament and Old Testament. Well, it is, and that's okay, but in the economy of giving, it's one of those things that transcends. Both Testaments, because God never told us to stop giving. In fact, when we consider New Testament giving, if folks want to make that argument, I, I listen to them. And I'll remind them then that the New Testament instructs we give all. So it's cheaper to go with the 10%, but if you want to say, well, that's Old Testament, then just give everything. You see what I'm saying? I think that this, this is an idea uh, that we've got to realize. God's economy of giving transcends certain things. So they gave the things. This is an offering of sincerity. It comes from my supplies. If you want to see the parallel of that, that's the goat's hair and the blankets and the gold and the necklace and the tablets and all those things that they brought that we saw in Exodus 35. It's there. So what does this offering recognize? Every offering recognizes something. I believe this offering recognizes God's workers. What is actually those who are carrying out specific tasks. You think about how Paul was advancing the gospel 
in, in a manner that we're trying to advance the gospel today. And as he was doing it, there were certain things that he needed. It wasn't like he was attending the same assembly every week. He was in different places, and each church took care of his needs. But Philippi figured out a way to say, he is over there, let's send Epaphroditus to go hunt down Paul. Now you think about that. This wasn't, I'm going to call Paul and see where he is, we're going to bring him stuff. This wasn't, address this and send it by FedEx to Paul before he leaves the next destination. This was, go find Paul. Could be anywhere. And let's bring him stuff. And that's part of God's economy. This is, uh, this recognized God's work, this is a needs-based offering. Every offering has a connection. So we see income-based, heart-based, and this is a need-based. We see the worker of God has this need, we give to that need. Here's the fourth one, and all this is by way of introduction. I'm serious, it really is, because what I want to share with you is next. It's, but I want you to see, this is what we'll call the promised offering. Go with me to Acts 11, and we'll take a peek at what the Word of God has to say here. Acts chapter 11. thing I want to do is go too fast, but I want to move through this in a systematic way, because I believe if you could understand that there is a prescribed offering, the tithe, a preferred offering, which is a heart-based offering, reveals the condition of my heart, the project offering, there are things that we do, this promised offering fits in that whole spectrum of giving in God's economy. It's not because, oh, here's the thing. I want to say it this way. If you go to your Bible and say, faith, promise, giving, type that in. If you go to Google and say, search the Bible for faith, promise, giving, you're not going to see those words all put together. You'll see giving, you'll see promise, you'll see faith. All of those are biblical things. Think of this as a title, a name that just describes what it is, um, our refrigerators, what they, they, the, the refrigerator, now if you were from a certain generation, it was always called the Frigidaire, but, but what does our refrigerator do? It refrigerates food. That's the name that describes it. Faith, promise, giving describes one offering in the economy of God that describes how we give. The tithe, that's, God sets the amount, but when it comes to the promised offering, it's a bit different. It recognizes the value of what we can do together for a cause. Go with me to Acts 11. I'm going to start reading in verse 27, and I'll read to the end of the chapter. Don't get nervous, that's only four verses. But Acts chapter 11, the Bible reads, And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up one of them, named Agabus. So Agabus is a prophet. Jerusalem was where everything got started in Christianity and the Lord's church. And it says they came from Antioch. There's two Antiochs in the Bible. Antioch of Syria and Antioch of Pisidia. This is Antioch of Syria, due north of Jerusalem. So we, now we have a recognized man who has a function in his church, who comes to another church, and the Bible reads, there stood up one of them named Agabus and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth throughout all the world which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, 
determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. This is understanding they had a cause. What was their cause? Well, it was food. What is our cause? Ours is the advancement of the gospel. I think about it this way. It helps me to understand when I'm teaching on faith promise that it is a model. It is a, I really like to use the word pattern. My mom used to sew. You remember when people used to sew? Instead of just everybody goes to Target or Walmart and get it, right? You'd, you'd buy fabric and then you'd buy a pattern and then you take the pattern and you cut cloth or fabric out according to the size of the pattern that you were making of the dress or item that you're making. And so mom would do that and she would cut out the stuff and she'd pin the pattern to the fabric. And and, uh, I'm explaining this because there are people who still don't remember what sewing was. And so you'd put all that out, you'd cut it out, then you'd sew the remaining pieces of fabric together and you come up with a dress. But you could take that same pattern and go to another fabric. Let's say you made a green dress. You wanted to come over here and make a blue dress. Same pattern, different fabrics. And you could lay that there, make a second dress. And in that second dress that you're making, it's identical, except the color is different. When I look at this offering, the promised offering, I see they had a, this is a pattern for us. Their pattern was food. Now, I'm not against eating. Hopefully, I'll do that at some point today. In fact, pastors tempted me with the whole thing of where we're going to eat, so it makes me want to hurry up and finish. But that's the second message, not the first one. And, uh, and it says, so when they're giving, they're giving because they're trying to get food to people who need it. And in that passage of Scripture, we're given some... A unique perspective that I think helps me understand they made an offering based on a promise that by a set period of time they would give. And so I call this the faith-based offering. You remember each one had a designation. One is income-based. God sets the amount. Heart-based. I set the amount. Project-based. The missionary needs something. And this is faith-based. What's great about this one is it's not tied to my income. It's tied to my faith. When I understand that something's tied to my faith, that means there's no ceiling. There's no limit. If if I understand things correctly, then I'm going to understand that I can give a promise by faith to help for a cause. So we get down to what is faith promise giving. Now here's the picture of a guy. That's the best thing I could come up with a famine. I was going to leave it blank because that would be true of what a dearth is. There's nothing. But this is a guy who's hungry. But here, this is a designation of the world. So we're taking the same pattern that they used for the promised offering, for the famine, and we're going to use it for a different thing. It's the blue dress and the green dress. What is it? Here's a definition. This is my definition. It's not perfect, but it's, hopefully it's simple. When believers respond to a presented need with a promise to give by a set point in time through their church. It's very simple. I make a promise, that promise is by faith, that I will give a set amount of money in a certain time. You say, well, how can I, I just realized I've dropped 
faith promise cards, but bending over for an inversion while I'm speaking has me concerned, so I'm not going to bend over and pick those up quite yet. This is how we designate by a certain point in time that we will give a set amount, and we will give that through this church. And that's exactly what I tried to indicate here. When believers respond to a presented need, what's our presented need? Well, theirs was a famine. What is ours? The gospel. And so when, a, when I look at this to say, we make a promise for a set point in time. We start, and every February, we make a decision. This is what we're going to do for the next year. So we're just looking for the pattern to be repeated. I think, and this is... This is you may not agree. This is not scripture. This is, I'll call this an O'Malleyism. Okay? I think it's a truism as well. But here is my singular thought. What a church responds to indicates their priority. If you think about that, if I respond to uh, the church is going to have an ice cream social, and I respond to that, what does that tell me? I like sweet, cold, refreshing dishes, right? I mean, that's what it is. But if I tell you, we're going to give to missionaries, and I don't respond to that, I kind of get a separate set of priorities. One is, oh yeah, where's the ice cream? And the other is, ah, missions, okay, I'll give something. So I want you to see what happens here at the church at Antioch. I've given you seven things here. That's a lot especially in about seven minutes, to give you these seven things. But I want you to understand that when we look at Acts 11, 27 through 30, I look at Antioch, that's the church being described, and I look at those passages, especially you get to 28 and 29 and 30, the Bible says, then the disciples, the first thing, what happens in our faith promise giving is it shows our team shows the team I belong to. Who am I? Well, I'm on the disciples team, right? Then the disciples, those who are disciples, followers, learners. And so the people who give to the promised offering are giving as a team. This is not what Tony and Kim can do. This is not what Pastor and Mrs. Krockenfels can do. This is what we can do together. So it shows our team. The second thing, when a church gives together, it shows our unity. Notice what uh, that I look at at that verse in verse number 29. It says that every man, this is incredible. This is cooperation. This is unity. This isn't, you know, you'll always get the people who want to make a big name or show for themselves and, and that. But that's not what this offering is about. This is an equalizer between a kid who's got nothing, no income except what his parents might let him earn. I've got someone who's working a job who may get their income as well as their bonuses or things that might come in a year. And then I have someone who's on fixed income and say, all right, that I know exactly how much is coming in and I can only do so much. But the faith is the equalizer of all of those. It allows me to cooperate and say, I can do this. And by doing so, it's part of my unity. The third thing it does when a church gives together, it shows our understanding. Notice these words, every man according to his ability. I, I forgot, what is your name? What is your name? Ka Kathleen? 
Kathleen, I'm John. I don't know what your giving ability is. I only can concern myself with mine. One, am I giving? Am I giving from a willing heart? Is this something that I'm obedient to Christ in and such? But I can't determine that for you, Kathleen. You have to figure that out. And then you have to say, all right, then I'm going to assume that everybody else in here is giving in the same way or at least evaluating the same way. Because if I'm not tithing, I got to fix that and get that in sync with God. But when it came down to this project offering, remember, they're meeting the need of a famine and I'm meeting the need of missions. I want to show what team I'm on, the disciple team. I want to show my unity that everybody is doing it. And I want to understand that I have an ability, Kathleen has ability. I can't say, oh, I wish I had Kathleen's ability or Kathleen can't say, I wish I had John's ability. I just got to say, what can I do? What, what am I doing? Notice, this isn't an option of should I or shouldn't I. In God's economy, God's kids give. You say, well, are you saying if I don't get, I'm not God's kids? I am not saying that. That's a reverse conclusion. I can tell you this. If you're not a giver, something's out of sync between you and God. Because God's kids give. Okay? It shows my commitment. The Bible says, then the disciples, every man, according to his ability, determined. So it shows my commitment where you make it work. You stick it out. You make it happen. It's not just a lightweight thing to say, no, I made that promise. I'll keep that promise. Number five, when a church keeps together, it shows our compassion that they, were, they saw themselves as sending relief. Can I tell you something? When it comes to the gospel and getting the gospel out around the world, that's relief. When people's eternal addresses change, that's relief. We're sending them the gospel. Uh, the Bible talks about uh, that, that uh, the end of verse 17, where it's, or verse number 16, where 15 in Romans 10, where it says that, and how shall they preach except they be sent? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace, which is a quote from Isaiah 52. If it's not, don't judge. I'll blame that on the medication. But Isaiah 52 gives that idea that's saying that when you bring good news from a far place, you say, bless those feet that brought this message. And this is relief that we're sending. Number six, it shows our character. They didn't just make a promise. They completed the promise. Kim, you're looking at your Bible there. Verse 30, isn't that verse 30? Verse 30 says, which also they did, and then it shows their submission. They sent it to the elders. This promised offering is our way of supporting missions, not taking care of a famine, but sending people like Tony and Kim out and saying, go do the work of Christ, reach Haiti, reach Haitians, reach people for Christ, who, who speak Creole and French and English and find them and give them the gospel. And we say, all right, then I'll make a promise to support people just like Tony and Kim. This is why the display there in the back of the church is so important that you can see that we've got 11 families. Is that right? 11 projects, six and is that right? 11 projects that we're supporting around the world. I mean, if you look at that, you walk, you walk out of this church building, you can't help but see what is our priority. Our priority is just this thing. We're responding. They responded to a famine. 
we're responding to getting the gospel out around the world. This is, this is who we are when a church gives together. I know that we can have people who want to be prima donnas, showy people. Well, I, I, I want to do my own thing. But my own thing is me individually. I'd rather give with the team here. Rather than me just say, well, I did this. Well, Christianity is not about the I, it's about Him. And this is part of God's economy. If you want those slides or the notes, pastor can give them to you. What we're doing today is we're taking cards just like this and saying, just like the church at Antioch. Now, I don't think the church at Antioch had perforated cards that looked really cool. I don't think they had that. But I do think that they had a way to give an indication, we'll give this. So, well, I'm not really into that whole public demonstration of giving. Well, in truth, there's no place to put your name here. There's only a place to just say, and, and on this card, you write how much. The second thing you do is circle how often. And the third thing you do is indicate how old you are. You don't have to write the exact number because so many people lied. We just did away with that. We just said, would you just tell us if you're an adult or not? And, uh, and so we put that there. And then we give you a little place to tear this off. And you keep this. And you give us this. Why? Well, we've got to have a budget that tells us how much we can go. We've got 11 commitments out there. And it's not like there's not more missionaries that we want to support. There are plenty more missionaries that we want to support. The only way we can do it is if everybody gives together.